Good evening. Uh, we're going to be reading from Genesis. Uh, it's the first book of the Bible and chapter 17. Uh, it's on page 17 uh, if you're using the church Bibles. So Genesis and chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the, and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from, from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or, bu- or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant, I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, 
God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Great. Thanks, Lizzie. Uh, well, do keep your Bibles open, and we've already prayed, so why don't we jump straight into Genesis chapter 17. Um, I wonder if you had any rules in your household when you were growing up, or perhaps uh, you still do. Uh, rules that determine the way that you uh, behave, the way that you relate with each other. Um, we're trying this in our family at the moment to, to try and help with general family happiness. And uh, we, we've come up with a few rules as a family that we think actually we can all agree on and uh, something that will, will help us as a family to, to love one another. Uh, a few of these are things like telling the truth, loving and respecting God and others, looking after property, being polite, praying, celebrating when something good happens, being helpful, gentle, forgiving others, sharing, and most importantly of all, tidying up. Um, now, not necessarily perfect at all of these, and I, I speak for myself, uh, but it's, it's, it's about progress, isn't it? It's not about actually achieving that all at once. It's about progress. But, but the principle is, because we are a family, we have these rules. We act in a certain way because we are a family. And uh, rules for living is what we see here in Genesis chapter 17, where we see what it means to live under God's covenant. Now, covenant is one of those words that we've heard quite a lot over the last few weeks. We've been looking through this. So I thought a helpful just description. Every time you see God talking about a covenant, you can remember that it means God's everlasting commitment that he will be our God and we will be his people. That's what God means by covenant. His everlasting commitment that he will be our God and we will be his people. A bit of a recap of how we got to to this passage then as we're thinking about what it means to live under God's covenant. Way back in Genesis uh, chapter 12, a a few weeks ago now, uh, God had commanded Abraham to leave his home to come out and to go to where God would tell him to go. He didn't know where he was going. But the important thing was he trusted God. And that trust is something that that keeps popping up again. And it is really important to understand how someone can be made right with God. They trust God, and God accepts them based on that trust. And then a few weeks ago, we were looking uh, in Genesis chapter 15, which is this incredible passage where God shows his commitment to be a covenant God to his people by saying the lengths that he will go to if one of them breaks this commitment. And then two weeks ago, we were looking at uh, Abraham and Sarah. I've been waiting for this child, this promised child. 
God's promise to them had always been that they would have descendants as numerous as the stars, but they weren't seeing any children, so they weren't understanding how this promise would be fulfilled. So they took the matter into their own hands, and well, it all went a bit wrong. But in Genesis chapter 17 today, we see what it looks like to be part of God's covenant family, to be children of the promise. Children of the promise. And we're going to see that in three ways. We're going to think about what is God's big promise to his children, how our faith in response is often quite little, and God's seal on our hearts. So firstly, we're going to think about God's big promise. So let's start with the size of this promise, and let's have a look at verses 3 and 4 in chapter 17. So after God has spoken, he's appeared to Abraham, and Abraham falls face down, which is, is a position of worship. He's worshipping God, and God says to him, as for me, this is God speaking, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Okay, we've heard that before, but here's something new. Verse 5, no longer will you be called Abraham, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. God is renaming Abraham, and there's quite a lot in his name. You see, Abraham just means uh, father or, or kind of important father, exalted father, something like that. But Abraham means father of many. God is changing Abraham's name in accordance with what God has promised him. I had one person describe it. It's like changing your name from daddy to big daddy. God, God is extending this promise that he's going to make to Abraham and through him to the nations of the whole world. But we see that this covenant promise from God isn't just to Abraham now. We can call him Abraham now. But it's also to a much bigger family. Have a look at verses 6 and 7. God says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That's where we get our definitions from, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God is extending this promise, this blessing from just Abraham and his descendants to now many nations who will come from his family line. And we see some of the examples of people who will come out of that. Kings will come from Abraham's line. And we read through the Old Testament, and we see that that happens. We see famous kings, people like David and Solomon, and tracing all the way through Abraham's line to, well, the king of kings, to Jesus Christ himself. God wants to bless Abraham and use his family and his descendants to bless the whole world, to bring them into the knowledge of God. So this is the size of his promise. It's not just to Abraham. God's got plans for the whole world. And he wants to put these people in his special place. Verse 8. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner. This is where Abraham came back to after his time in Egypt. God says, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. God's big promise is not only to promise descendants for Abraham, but to promise a place where God will reign over them, where they will experience God's blessing. They will possess the land. It won't happen for hundreds of years until after Abraham 
dies, but it will happen. But notice, even greater than the land, the best possession they could hope for is at the end of verse 8. God says, I will be their God. Whatever happens, I will be their God. That is the greatest possession any of us could ever hope for. Not just numerous descendants or, or land, the two most important things in Abraham's day, but the treasure of God being our father. Nothing compares with that and the size of God's promise. So that's what God's big promise looks like. But, but how does God want the people to respond to that offer of this amazing promise? Well, have a look in verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. What does he mean? We'll have a look in a minute. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. So God is saying that because I made these promises to you, there is now a new way of living for you that defines you as different than who you were before. You're going to be marked in a way that shows that you are different to who you were before, that you are different from the people who don't live under God's rule. And the sign that Abraham and his descendants are given is that every male shall be circumcised. Why circumcision? Why circumcision? If you're not sure what circumcision is, um, ask someone else. Um, <laughs> but, but circumcision, it is a physical reminder. It is a physical reminder, something done to your flesh, that God's promise had not yet come. It had, it had a purpose in God's plan to show that the fulfillment of what he is promising to Abraham was still to come. It marked out God's people as as different to the the other nations around them, worshipping different gods. These were God's people marked in a particular way. And that is the response to God's promise that was appropriate for them at the time. It's like God saying, because I promised you, you must trust me in a way that you can show that you are trusting me and are remembering this promise is that you would do this. That your sons, and starting with Abraham, would be circumcised. Now, if we have a look down at verse 13, that's not just to Abraham, but also the, the extension of this blessing goes further. Verse 13, talking about people, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. God is saying this isn't just for a particular people group, but actually God's plans are much bigger than that. And we see in the fullness and time and into the New Testament how God's plans for all the other nations to bring them in, to make them one big family is going to happen. But it's worthwhile asking this. It's pretty clear indication that circumcision in this passage is an important thing, isn't it? So why don't we do that anymore? It seems to be saying this is something that, that should be happening. But yet we don't do that in the church, certainly not in this church. Well, actually, this, that, that's perhaps not as silly question as it sounds. In, in the early days of the church 2,000 years ago, this was a really big issue for them. They were really trying to grapple with the fact that if someone becomes a believer, if they become a Christian, does that mean, well, just like in Genesis 17, they need to be circumcised as well? Do they need to be keeping these these Old Testament ritual laws to become a Christian? Because that's all we've ever known. 
And there was some real disagreement and some real trouble in the early church about what to do. But you can read through the book of Acts and see how they decided, actually, circumcision wasn't necessary anymore. Because it was a signpost. It was pointing to the one that God would send who would fulfill these amazing promises. Who would make it possible for the whole nations to be reconciled to God, to be brought into God's family. Those promises were pointing to Jesus. So that when he died and he rose again and people came to faith in him, they said, well, that is no longer necessary. Because the one who these promises were pointing to has come. Circumcision was preparing Abraham and his family and the people at the time for the one who would make God's promise a reality. Well, in that case, if that's how you kept God's covenant then, if that's how you lived under God's covenant rule, well, how do we do that today? Well, even the Old Testament gives us a clue. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. God says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. God's God's plan, God's purpose in responding to him in this way is that we would respond with all our love. That is what God wants. He wants us to respond not just by doing something to our flesh, but by responding to him with all our love, making our life not about ourselves, but making our lives about him, committing to his purpose, loving him with all our strength, with all our energy, with everything that we are doing, whether at school, whether at home, whether at work, loving God with all our hearts. But we see that this work starts not with ourselves, but with God. It is God who will circumcise our hearts, God who will change us on the inside so that we want to show love to him. But the command actually to us today is just as serious as it was then. We need to take this seriously. If we are living under God's rule, we need to take that seriously. Just like Abraham had to take seriously what God was telling him. That's how God wants the people to respond. Faithfully trusting him and doing what he asks. But also at the end of this, uh, this little bit here in 15 and 16, we see something else. Because back in chapter 16, as we said, Abraham and Sarah got in all this mess about trying to sort uh, God's plans out for themselves and try to get this child because they, they weren't willing to wait any longer. And it says this, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. So he's changing a name again. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her, not by Hagar, not by someone else, but by your wife, Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. She gets the same promise, the same blessing as Abraham did, as if there was any doubt left as to how God was going to make this promise happen. After all of the waiting, after all that journeying, God was making clear how he was going to answer that promise, how he was going to make it happen. Even despite the disobedience and the mess they made when we looked at chapter 16, God will still remain faithful 
God's plans won't be upset. Well, how do Abraham and uh, how does Abraham respond to to God's commands, to God's promise? Well, perhaps not in the way we'd expect. And actually, it reflects back on us as we think now about our little faith compared to God's big promise, our little faith. Have a look at verse 17. Abraham fell face down. It sounds like he's going to worship again, doesn't it? Like we saw earlier in verse 3. Abraham fell face down. What does he do? He laughs and says, not to God, but to himself. This is, this is, this is something he's keeping to himself. Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Abraham has got a too small view of God. And perhaps even it's slightly understandable. Surely the time is up. Just been waiting too long. Not this promise again. We've, we've pitched all our hopes on this promise and we waited so long. Nothing seemed to happen. We tried doing it our own way. That didn't work right. We're still waiting. Sometimes despair can really affect us. One of my uh, favorite films growing up was a film with uh, John Cleese called Clockwise. I don't know if uh, any of you saw it. Basically, the plot of this film is uh, he plays this head teacher who has to travel the country to give this speech. Uh, But everything you can imagine goes wrong on the process to getting to this place. And... uh, and after it gets, his plans get frustrated again, he, he says this one thing which is, I think is, is helpful, picks up on what Abraham may have been experiencing. He says, it's not the despair I find hard. It's not the despair. I can cope with the despair. It's the hope. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I know exactly what he means. That it's almost too painful to hope again in what God is promising here. It's easier just to spend your life despairing that that never worked out. But to dare to hope again. Well, had Abraham given up on God? I'm not sure. But the doubt had certainly got stronger. After all, we are told back in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God. He trusted God and God accepted him. He counted to him as righteous. But it shows, doesn't it, how easy cynicism can enter into our faith, even for pillars of the faith like Abraham. We can get cynical. And I wonder if you're sitting here this evening and perhaps you you recognize something of that. Perhaps you once, maybe when you were a new believer, expected great things of God, God to use you in, in wonderful ways. But perhaps that hasn't happened, or perhaps it hasn't happened in the way that you imagined. It's very easy for cynicism to to enter into our faith, to have a smaller view of God like Abraham did, perhaps with the passing of time. But the good news is that God hadn't finished with Abraham. And if that's you experiencing that as well, well, God hasn't finished with you either. Even if we've got a small view of God. Secondly, though, we see that Abraham had a small view of prayer, which is hardly surprising if he had a small view of God. Verse 18, and Abraham says to God, so he's no longer talking to himself, but he's now talking to God. If only Ishmael 
might live under your blessing. Ishmael, this, this, his, his other child that he had with, with the, the slave girl Hagar, who he tried to, to raise as his own son to, to fulfill that, that place that God had promised. What is Abraham asking for? Well, he's, he's asking that God would choose the easy route, perhaps even the obvious route. You know, this would be a smaller prayer for God to answer that he might bless someone who's already there than it would be for God to answer a prayer for someone who doesn't even live yet, whose chances of existing seem astronomically small. You see, there's already this child, Abraham says. Why, why don't you just bless him, please? That would be a lot easier. And then you can work out your, your purpose through, through Ishmael and, and everything will be fine. But God doesn't want to do that. That isn't God's plan. You see, God could have done that, but God wants to show his power by doing the impossible. Even at Abraham at 100 and Sarah, his wife, at 90, by giving them a child, God wants to show his power and that nothing will upset his promise that he's made. It can be scary sometimes to to pray big prayers for things, perhaps in the face of illness, perhaps uh, a, a member of the family or a close friend who isn't a believer, and we've been praying for them for years, and it just feels impossible sometimes. But don't give up. We can pray big prayers. We don't have to pray those smaller prayers that we think it's easier for God to answer. You see, God's power to answer prayer isn't actually the limiting factor, is it? I think rather it's probably more likely the the size of God we imagine him to be. I think we all need a bigger picture of God, especially in prayer. And and how does God respond to, to Abraham's little faith? Well, with grace, actually. Verse 19, this is God's gracious answer. God said, Yes, so Abraham's asked for Ishmael to be blessed. God's saying, yes, I will do that. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. Now, Isaac means laughter. It's, it's a play on the fact that obviously Abraham was laughing to himself. Well, God's going to say, well, who's going to be the one laughing now? Because I will give you Isaac. I will give you real laughter from God. But it's amazing, isn't it, that God doesn't scold Abraham for his little faith, for trying to do something that wasn't part of God's plan. God's promise remains. A promised child through Sarah, his wife. But also, look, in God's goodness, he does still promise to bless Ishmael, the the child of, of Abraham and Hagar. God promises to bless Ishmael. You see, even with little faith, God can do great things. Jesus talks about this in the New Testament. He commends the faith of even as small as a mustard seed, like on the screen, tiny little seed. Even faith as small as a mustard seed, God can use. Because it's not the size of the faith that's important. It's the size of the person that we have the faith in. It's how big God is. And God is big. God can use even that tiny faith that Abraham was showing there. Well, well, how does this passage finish up? And and how can we think then about what it means to live under God's rule and God's covenant to be that children of God? 
Well, in verse 23 at the end of the passage, we, we get a clue. And it sets the pattern for what that faithfulness looks like on our behalf. So Abraham's had all this instruction in verse 23. On that very day, so he doesn't delay, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham obeyed God's command, not to try and earn God's favor or God's love, but because of the promise made to him, because of God's plans to use Abraham. That's why he was obedient, because he loved the one who loved him. Um, Paul, writing in the New Testament, picks this up in Romans chapter 4, makes, makes a really big deal of it, helps us to understand why this is so significant for us as Christians, if you are here as a Christian. He says this in chapter 4. He says, Abraham received circumcision as a sign, as a sign, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Did you hear that? Abraham received circumcision as a sign of the righteousness that he already had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Abraham believed God's promise to him. And as a result, he was sealed with this sign. He was given this sign, circumcision. This was an outward sign of something God had done in saving Abraham. Now, we don't have circumcision, but we have something in the church that functions like that now. We have baptism. It is an outward sign of something that God has done. Baptism primarily isn't about what we do, about choosing to live a life for God. Baptism is about recognizing what God has done for us. And that's because we don't live under this old covenant. The old covenant was about the promise Like circumcision, it was pointing to something greater. The Bible says we live under a new covenant. If you are a follower of Jesus, you live under this new covenant. And this new covenant wasn't built on a promise, but was built on what God did. This is a new covenant in Jesus' blood. These are words that we often use uh, when we gather to, to have communion, to remember Jesus bringing us into this new covenant. And this is from Luke chapter 22. After supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He was talking about the fact that he was going to go to the cross and he would bleed for us. He would die for us and bring us into that new covenant. All those promises, everything that Abraham was pitching his hopes on would be fulfilled in Jesus, in his life, in his death and in his resurrection. The old covenant was built upon God's promises to bless the nations. But the new covenant is built upon what God has done to make that happen. The covenant promise that he will be our God because of what Jesus has done for us. That new covenant secured by Jesus's blood. Which means that we we read this passage in a new light, understanding how this was pointing towards Jesus and how we can live that out. How we can love God with all our heart and love each other as ourselves. Let's just wrap back up to the top of the chapter and look at what God says. 
just halfway through in verse 1. These are the first words God says to Abraham. He says, I am God Almighty. Now, interestingly, he's using a new name for himself there as well. Lots of new names in this passage. He's saying, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. This is now a possibility for those who live in that new covenant. Because God is at work inside us so that we can follow him faithfully and even to be blameless. I wonder if you think it's possible to be blameless. Well, it's because of who we're connected to. You see, this promise pointed towards this king, Jesus Christ. And he was the perfect covenant-keeping promised son who faithfully and blamelessly kept God's covenant. And so by faith in him, we too can be seen in God's sights to be completely faithful and blameless just by trusting in what he has done. That is God's seal on our hearts. That is God's commitment to us to live under his covenant rule so that he would be our God and we can be his people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are the God of big promises and none greater than this, that this promise that you would be our God forever and that we would be your people. Lord, we're sorry for times when we demonstrate little faith in your promise, when we pray little prayers, where we have a too small view of you. Lord, please forgive us. And Lord, because of what Jesus has done in keeping your covenant perfectly, we pray that you would help us to to grow in those responsibilities, to, to love you more and more each day, to walk before you faithfully and blamelessly so that you might get all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.